Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of In the Zone. This is episode 84. Giancarlo Lino here with Chris Martelli, Anthony Piniello. Guys, let's talk about some hockey. Uh, Max Kellerman, first kick off with this. Uh, he doesn't seem to think NHL is a big uh, major four, major five in the U.S., North America. He said uh, 20,000 seats in the, the NHL arenas are great and all, but that's the only fans they have. So what are your thoughts on these uh, trolly comments by Max? Uh, I think just, he's just trying to go up and yellow, go, 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 go. Oh, I was just going to say, this is just Max being Max. I don't think there's any ill will behind it. Uh, he's a big college football guy, so he said for like the four main sports, you have that, basketball, uh, the NFL, and what was the last one? The I'm always mask. Oh my God, see, that? there you go. I don't buy any of that. He's just stirring the pot. I'm sure he's a big fan of hockey, but yeah, when you look at the states and you look at all the ratings and all that, I see where he's coming from, but the NHL is definitely in the four there. Yeah, it's in the four. I'll say it's in the four. Uh, I, I kind of agreed with what Max said, but when he started talking about NASCAR, I was like, okay, man, like you're, I know you're joking now. Like, uh, 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 My dad has been like watching college football for a while so i know how big it is in the states they have all those uh different bowls you know they have the fiesta bowl they have all these other bowls so um it's very special in the states that's why i guess max kellerman had it i think at two or three but yeah nfl is the bread and butter in the states that's what everyone kind of looks forward to the super bowl is one of the biggest you know extravaganzas every year so um there's that, but yeah, in terms of hockey, when I think of like a worldwide sport, you can't leave hockey out of it. I mean, I know like it's everyone has that stereotype where oh, it, like just the Canadians care about it, no one else really cares. But uh, over the years, you know, a lot of a lot more international players have been coming into the league. It's just like the NBA; it's coming, it's becoming a lot more worldwide. And uh, yeah, that's that's what I think with the NHL. I, I kind of agree with Max in terms of the states, but. We got to recognize that, like NHL hockey, it's just it's one of the best sports in the world. Yeah, I'm with you both there. I think in NHL in the states, he does have a point just on TV ratings, but other than that, like NHL is bigger than the NFL in other countries around the world. Like Czech Republic has their own league, uh, Slovakia, Russia, Sweden. Like you go to those places, hockey's like the number one thing over soccer in some of those countries too. So for him to say it's not a major sport, he's being a little bit of a troll. But that's his thing. Uh, maybe it's his idea of saying, okay, maybe if I do, we'll end up talking about it on first take and we'll force Stephen A to talk about it because he tries to go the opposite of him all the time. So I see what he's doing. Maybe it's a, a little trick he has under his sleeve. He wants to talk hockey and this is the only way he can do it. But uh, on to the Stanley Cup playoffs. We're going to have that 2014 uh, new format. Uh, some of the teams that are jumping up here, we got Minnesota, Vancouver. Uh, Chicago, Edmonton, uh, Winnipeg, Calgary. Uh, we'll start off with these teams in the West. Uh, which teams do you see going through? Start it off, Pinello. Uh For the West, um, just looking at the teams here, I'm really fond of Winnipeg. I think we, we brought it up kind of last week, like what we we're most excited for, that first-round match, other than the Leaf series, obviously. But Calgary, Winnipeg, that's a big boy. First round matchup. Uh, they've both been getting a lot of experience over the last few years. Calgary getting 
fucking bounced by Colorado after almost being at the top of the standings was, I think, should be a wake-up call for them. And regardless of how Goudreau and Monaghan, like, they didn't really put up the numbers this year, I think they'll be a little bit more motivated when the playoffs open up. But with that being said, I still got Winnipeg in that series. I think they could be big boys going forward. So, yeah, I like it. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Pinello there. I'm going to go with... uh... Go with Winnipeg. I think uh, Hellebuck has had a Vesna caliber season. You know, I think he was like 31 and like 20 or something, and he had a 922 save. And then you look at the other side of things where it's David Riddich, who kind of struggled. I know he had more wins and losses, but his save percentage was just, just below 910, which is, I think, below average. And then you had Cam Talbot again, who um, he had a, a better season this year, no doubt about it, but the advantage is just so eye-opening and it's just, it's a big margin. Like Hellebuck is way better than both of them. You need great goaltending to win. And uh, we saw that with Bennington last year. I think uh, Hellebuck will easily uh, bring Winnipeg to maybe even the conference finals. If things keep rolling with them, Uh, you know, they have a lot of secret weapons. Ehlers had a monstrous year. A lot of people were kind of writing them off after last year saying, you know, he may not be the offensive weapon that he was expected to be, but he's bounced back. They have two other huge weapons in Connor and Line A, and Line A this year didn't even hit 40 goals, so I think he'll be even more motivated in the postseason. But then again, like you, you look at the other side of things, like I was talking about goaltending, but you look at Goudreau and Monaghan, and you know, those two guys, when they're going, they could be a top-five pairing in the league. So I think, it, I think this is a series to watch. But uh, I also want to quickly talk about Edmonton and Chicago. I think that's a series again. I know Chicago had a really bad record. I think they were just over 500. But man, we can't ignore Patrick Kane's talent, his you know his uh, clutchness in the postseason, getting that that Stanley Cup winning goal against the Flyers that year. He just night in night out he performs every time he goes in the postseason. Jonathan Taves had another great year. The Brink kid actually had a pretty bad year this year, and he's a guy where when I look in the postseason and you need a guy to score, kind of like what happened a couple years ago with Pittsburgh. They had Jake Gunsold scoring almost every game. I could see DeBrinkit being that guy. So I know Edmonton is heavily favored in that series. You know, you have the two best players this year, but I wouldn't rule out Chicago in that series. Yeah, for sure. Take it, buddy. No, no, yeah, I was just saying Winnipeg and uh, like in that other series, but like Chicago, yeah, I agree with them. For the Hawks, uh, yeah, it's the five and twelve seed. They're really gonna have to rely on their their uh, championship <laughs> DNA because they still got a lot of those guys there. They know what it takes to go all the way, but at the same time, I don't know if there's enough gas in the tank. Like Edmonton's really coming up. McDavid and Drysaddle on another level this year. I think this will go the limit, honestly, but I'm still going to take Edmonton to edge them out. Can you imagine if, uh, I don't want to say it, but like if Crawford comes up big and Kubelik comes out of nowhere, starts scoring, and everything's gelling with Kane on that line, and then Taves' line starts rolling, what, what does Edmonton do from here? Oh, man, they panic. They need to sign. They, need, they would need to sign like a free agent. There's this guy named Taylor Hall. <laughs> that worked before. Um, the, for me, the biggest concern with Edmonton is their defense. I look at their defense, and when you you know you're 
You're talking about a championship DNA team and Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves. They got Brandon Saad back, who, yes, he hasn't been that great the last couple of years. But again, in postseason, it's a completely different game. You could see different players come up, like you just said, Kubalik as well. Um, like, are you really relying on guys like Clef Baum and Adam Larson to, like, shut these guys down in a seven-game series? Like, the only guy I have faith in there is probably Darnell Nurse. We all know how much we love him. Good Canadian boy. But I don't really know, man. Like, I know, like, you're saying McDavid and Drysaddle, like, they're the two best players in the world right now. But I'm looking at this from, like, a team perspective. And even though they're the fifth seed, I don't, I don't really know if I have faith in Edmonton. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's kind of fair. When you look at everything that's gone down the last, like when, Alino, when you said panic, I immediately flashed to like Hall, Nugent, Hopkins, and Yakupov all getting drafted. That's what immediately popped into my mind. Well, like, I don't know. This has got to be it for Edmonton. This is so much bottom feeding over the last little while. They finally had this breakout year. If they lose to the fucking Hawks, they're just going backwards. And then there's going to be all these questions again, but... I think as long as they have McDavid and Dreisaitl, still two very young pieces, they can, can just continue to build, whether it works out this year or not. And, like, on to that Winnipeg one, like, their defense took a hit. Like, they lost all their top defensemen this year. The king of RFA offer sheet holdouts is on New York now. Uh, Dustin <laughs> Bufflin is a free agent. And they lost Tyler Myers to Vancouver. He left in the offseason, so... Is their defense good enough to maybe take out Calgary first round? Um, uh, again, like, I guess you can, I, I kind of contradicted myself where, you know, I'm looking at Edmonton's D and I'm questioning it and I'm kind of now I'm looking at Winnipeg's D and it's looking pretty rough. But um, guys, you know, like Josh Morrissey are very undervalued. I think he's a guy that, He's been amazing the last two years, and no one's really talked about him enough. Sammy Niku, he's a rookie, but uh, he looks like he's been in the league for like two, three years. Uh, there's just like even guys like Pullman and um, what's that other guy's name that they just drafted? He played a couple games this year. I don't remember his name. It was it's a hard name to say, um, but the like a lot guy. of the, yeah, a lot of the a lot of the D on that team. Like, they've just been surprising all year. And I feel like, like like I was just saying about Goudreau and Monaghan, like, if Goudreau's going, then it's a series. But if Goudreau disappears, then this is, I think, a one-sided offensive domination by Winnipeg because they have three solid lines. You have Roslovic, who's another guy that I think is just scratching the surface, I think. He hasn't had an opportunity to be in the top six. And if that guy starts playing with confidence... Maybe Brian Little is on the way out. But again, like you, like I didn't even mention Blake Wheeler. And like he's the guy that drives it. So even though Winnipeg is the ninth seed there and Calgary's the eighth seed, I just, I got to go with Winnipeg, even though their defense is kind of shot. This is just be a, it's a top heavy offensive series. I think you said it before with Hellebuck being the big fucking matchup difference. I think that's where they really have them. When you look at the, like Calgary's got, they got Noah Hannafin back there coming into his own. It looks a little better for Calgary on defense, but Winnipeg, they've been playing together all year. They had, I can't remember his name either, but they had that 18-year-old Winnipeg starting on the top line going into the season along with Tucker Pullman. So not a lot of credibility back there, 
but they've really been holding their own Winnipeg. I still like them in the series. Yeah. Well, on to the East, and uh, we got Toronto-Columbus. Uh, I guess we'll start with this one because there's going to be 28 skaters here, and uh, Nick Robertson's one of them. We'll probably have Jeremy Bracco, uh, Korshkov, like all the guys that were called up during the year, they'll probably be in the mix there. Is Toronto going to have a different look on the bottom six? Like, are all those guys out of the lineup once these uh, I guess eight guys come into their own and make a statement in their development? I don't know. I don't know if he's going to play. Um, like Nick Robertson and uh, Bracco. Like, I feel like I know Mikheyev's injured. I know Muzzin's injured. Uh, I don't really know how long, because Mikheyev's been out for a long time now. And I don't know if he's going to come back for the postseason. Maybe it's one of those where Dubas says, yeah, man, just rest. You don't have to come back. Uh, we, we'll have faith in you next year. But when I, when I think of like a Nick Robertson, if he's going to play, Maybe you can maybe replace Janssen. If Janssen's not going, maybe he can snap out of it if you bench him for a game or two. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't touch that fourth line. I think that fourth line is perfect for postseason hockey. You have Spezza, you have Clifford, and uh, who, I think, is it Trevor Moore? I don't know who the other guy is on the fourth line. But that's like a grind, grind and, you know, battle fourth line, and you need that in the postseason. So, if there's one guy that gets maybe benched, it's probably going to be one of the skilled guys on the third line, like maybe even a Kerfoot if he's not, you know, doing doing enough out there. So, I, like, I know, like, all of us, when we get prospects, we're really hyped to see them play. I don't know if Nick Robertson's going to play in this playoff series, Alino. Man, I would really like to see both of them just because, like, two fresh young legs making their debut in the playoffs. But, like... When you brought up all of those utility guys, I immediately thought of Jason Spezza. Just, we were, I remember throughout the season, we're saying maybe we shouldn't play him like every other game. We should, you know, just, just kind of take it easy with him. And then when he's good to go, then go on 100. So, like, he's had all this time off. He's, he's playing on the fourth line. When I look at a guy like Spezza, who's been in the finals before and had these long playoff runs, I'm looking at him over all of the young prospects that we have over the next month or so. Yeah, I'm with you. And Gochi, I think, would be if they want to, I guess if they don't think they have the depth on defense, maybe they'll have an extra forward and just have Gochi on the penalty kill. But uh, then the third line, you got Malgin, like, came in from Florida. He's been okay. It's just hasn't been like a guy who you look at, like, okay, this guy's going to be a game changer there. So it's like they have a bunch of utility guys, uh, a, like, a for sure, uh, you're going to have some grit with uh, like either Clifford or if Mikheyev is back. But other than that, I just don't see where their offense is going to go. Hopefully it's uh, something where Matthews and Tavares can just carry it, Marner, and uh, put them out early. But you look at a team like Columbus, it's a bad matchup. Let's just put it at that. I just think uh, if we're making predictions here, we know Tortorella is a great coach. We know Sheldon Keefe, uh, he's not that experienced especially at this level it'll be his first playoff series but i'm looking at the stats here and it really bodes well for toronto like columbus was tied for third in goals against per game which was 260 which is pretty high and the leafs were third in the league in goals per game at 339 so i'm not worried about our offense at all i mean like i just said if guys like Janssen 
Kapanen, Kerfoot are really not going. Maybe you could put a Robertson or a Bracco in there just to get the young, fresh legs. You know, he, they could forecheck. They're most they're mostly offensive minded. They're not really defensive. Um, but I agree with everything that you guys have both said. Like the offense for us is literally two lines. I mean, our fourth line is like I said, grind. Spets is a guy where, like, going back to Pinello's uh, point. Spets has been there before. Kyle Clifford's been there before. Muzzin's been there before. So I'm looking at these three guys in this postseason, and I want to see that leadership. I want to see that, hey, guys, Marner, Nylander, Matthews, I've been there before. Just relax. You know, um, the pressure is definitely more on you guys than us, but you got to just relax, take it slow, and take it game by game. I think if if Spezza can – and Tavares as well. He's been in the postseason before, but he hasn't been – successful unfortunately but even even Tavares killer from Jason Spezza so for me Jason Spezza may be the x factor in this whole playoff run for the Leafs this year that's why I think it was great that Mike Babcock left because he didn't even want to play him he scratched him the first game and uh, pro. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, uh, I guess I guess if you're Columbus going into this you're not. You respect the leaf skill, but you know that you have that ability to shut those kinds of teams down based off what they did to Tampa last year. So when you look at it on paper, I'm sure it's a big mismatch offensively for the Leafs. They have a lot of those. But you know, if I'm if I'm Columbus, I'm pretty fucking confident. You know, no one really expected a whole lot this year. Uh, no one really. I don't even think anyone thought they'd make the playoffs. They ended up squeezing in there, and uh, I think they like that they got the Leafs. Yeah, they got our boy Gus Bus. On the team, too, uh, running the offense and a boy. Uh, now on to the other series, Pittsburgh and Montreal. I guess we can agree if Price and Weber aren't going, this team's screwed, right? Yeah, it's not oh, a yeah. question. Not a question. My biggest question is, is Matt Murray starting or is Tristan Jari? Because it looks like Tristan Jari is the new Matt Murray and Matt Murray's the new Marc-Andre Fleury. Where Jari just kind of came in and he's like, yeah, I'll be the starter because Murray had an 899 save percentage this year and Tristan Jari had a 921. So I think that's the biggest question for me in this series is who's starting for Pittsburgh? I'm kind of jealous of Pittsburgh. I don't even care who's starting. Like these, these fucking, like they had Flurry last year, two years ago, and like a, one of the best in the league. And they're like, oh, okay, we'll just get rid of him. We got Matt Murray. And then he slumps to a 918 save percentage. Oh, it's okay. We got Tristan Jari. So I think whatever they do, they just throw whoever in between the pipes and they're very confident because like the Chicago Blackhawks, they have all that championship DNA in front of them and they know how to play the game properly. So I assume it's Tristan Jari. He was fucking rolling before the season ended. But uh, yeah, for Montreal, oh my God, as long as they got Shea Weber in the lineup and if Carey Price is on, they got a chance. Yeah. That should be fun. Uh, Another next series. Well, is, uh, is uh, Thomas Tatar and Drew Ann are also coming back. But how about Jake Gunsel? He's coming back. Ooh. He's been out of the lineup for four months. So you can only imagine what playoff Gunsel is going to do to Montreal. <laughs> Killer. Good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's going to probably light it up. I forgot about him. I thought he was still going to be out, but... Uh, July, yeah, he should be ready to go by then. So he, I'm going to go with Pittsburgh still. Uh, I don't think Weber can carry that defense uh, that much, but they're probably 
good as gone and f- probably three or four. Hopefully they can get one game. If hopefully price can turn back and show that he's uh, decent in net still, but I don't like their chances. Uh, we got Carolina and New York. Uh, what do you guys have in that? Call me crazy. I'm going New York. Yeah, I go with you. <laughs> um, I, yeah, this this could go either way. I want to say the Rangers. Just I can't really ignore what Panarin and Zabanajad have done this year. All of the nice little pieces they have around them. Um, it's is it Georgiev that's starting? I would go Lundqvist. Crazy to say, but I like if I would go Lundqvist. He's old, he's veteran. Like he's been out a while. Had time to like get better, healthier, and playoff hockey. I'd start him in game one, see how that goes, and then put Georgiev in because you don't know how he would react to it, especially this situation. Yeah, but in terms of the series, I I don't know. Like the Rangers beat them four nothing this year in the in the regular season. Um, the only big thing that uh, is huge for Carolina is Dougie Hamilton's coming back. I think that's that's absolutely huge. He was a Vez, uh, he was a Norris contender when he was playing, and uh, you know he had forty points before he got injured. Another guy that can get some offenses, maybe Vatanen, but you know Zabanejad this year and Panarin and even like a Ryan Strom has surprised people. And the, even man, their defense is solid. Like they got Brady's J, they got. Tony D'Angelo, they got Jacob Truba. Like this team is great. Like they're, I don't know how they were a, an 11th seed in the in this whole playoff matchup. But even like if I'm the Leafs, like I'm even kind of worried about the Rangers. I think this is a team that could easily go far, kind of like what Carolina did last year. So I think for me, all eyes other than maybe Toronto and like Boston, I'm keeping my eye on the New York Rangers come playoff time. Yeah, the, the, this, they're splitting hairs. This is the one series for me. Like, it could be, like, flip a coin. Because Carolina, like, I know you named, like, Brady Shea and Truba, and they're really solid on D, but when I look at Carolina's D, just the way they play together, like, that's probably the strongest part of their game. Like, the way that Slavin is in that system. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, I think this is going five either way, but I'll, I'll take the Rangers by a hair. What's the other series in the East? I think I'm missing one. Uh, is it the Florida I, one? There's. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, that's another one. <laughs> that's a tough one. Uh, I'm going to go Florida on that. I think uh, they have the best coach, I think, in the league. Uh, your goaltender, I think Bobrovsky can turn it on right now. Uh, Barkov can turn it on. Huberdo, we saw what he can do. I'm going to go with them, but it's going to be a five-gamer. Yeah, I think, uh, I think when, you, when, you think of, um, when you think of, again, like, like flip a coin, this is another series where it could go either way, but I'm going to go with uh, – I'll go with Florida too. Just I'm talking about Alex Barkov, Vincent Trocek, Hubert Doe, Mike Hoffman – just their offense to me is very scary as well. Um, you know, Keith Yandel is no slouch. Aaron Eckblad is tasting playoff hockey. He's going to be motivated. Bobrovsky has to bounce back after every single playoff series he's been in. He hasn't really shown up. 
So I think this is now this is now where the contract kicks in. This is where it's like, okay, I am literally worth ten million dollars. I need to I need to pull my socks up, and we need to dominate the Islanders. But then when I look at the other side of things, the New York Islanders have been a team all season where I'm like, how the hell are they this good? They've been proving me wrong all year. Barzell's a superstar. Josh Bailey is chemistry with the Islanders has been amazing. Anders Lee's a great leader. They have a lot of great pieces there as well. Even like their bottom six is amazing. They have Sezikis, Clutterbuck. They have guys that'll really plug it up in the playoffs there. And they're another team that plays really well together. So again, like on paper, it looks like a landslide for Florida, but I don't know, man, it's close. Islanders are kind of the fuck-up team. Like, they're all right, but you don't think they're going to go as far as they actually do. Kind of the same way last year. But, um, yeah, I got Florida as well. I kind of see them as the Oilers, as, like, they've had such a bad run the last little while. They need to start making some steps with their young players. Them qualifying for the playoffs this time around is a very big step. This could go five games as well. I love the offense from Florida. Bob can definitely has the ability to steal a series, so... I will reluctantly take the Florida Panthers. Now we, uh, I forgot about one series in the West, Arizona, Nashville. I think Arizona is going to take it. I like what Phil's doing in the playoffs every year. He's consistent. He had a slow year, but I think he's going to bounce back. We're going to see Taylor Hall. He has a contract to play for and uh, Darcy Kemper's back. So is uh, Arizona winning out of the question for you guys? Um, it's pretty funny because the Predators actually have John Hines as the coach now and and Taylor Hall's on the other team. And <laughs> I think that's a storyline that we can't ignore. Um, but, you know, you talk about the goalie situation. You see Saros, he started 18 of the last eight. He started 14 of the last 18 games of the season. I think that signifies that they've been resting Rene. They've been doing, you know, the load management with Rene. Um, I think I yeah I think it's out of the question Alino I think Nashville's gonna win. Uh, Pekka Rene is an absolute monster in the postseason. Even though uh, he was he was struggling this year, but you want to talk about struggling to end the year? Arizona man, they were not good to end the year. Um, I guess you could call it the Taylor Hall effect. I don't know if that's the case, but man oh man, like I wish guys like Clayton Keller would just step up because the last two years, he has not been the player that we've all expected him to be. Um, Christian Dvorak's another guy where I need to see another gear from him. But in terms of guys that have actually contributed a lot, guys like Kinestroza has contributed, guys like Christian Fisher have contributed. So we need that from Keller. Derek Stepan is another guy, a great leader. But again, offensively, he's kind of dried up the last couple of years. I just think it's just a mismatch all around, man. Like you have Yossi Ellis at home on the defensive end for Nashville. And then when you look at their centers, Johansson, Turris, Duchesne. So I, I think it's a mismatch. I'm going with Nashville here. Um, hopefully it, the only reason why I can maybe see Arizona winning is Kemper just being an absolute rock in that. And if that can happen, then why not? Because we saw it before with Arizona with Mike Smith in 2011. He basically took them to the conference finals. I don't think it'll happen again. I got Nashville winning. Uh, for Zona to win, they're going to have to channel what they did the first few months of the season. They were just shutting down teams defensively, 
and they were winning every fucking game two to one with Kemper getting like 50 shots on. So, um, when you, yeah, when you look at it on paper, it's a huge mismatch. But if Arizona can stick to their game, I still have Nashville in four. <laughs> yeah, they're also playing in front of no fans. So they're right at home over there. They got home ice. So put that in Arizona's uh, positive pros and cons. But uh, on to the ring now. Uh, in your house took place this past weekend. A little bit of nostalgia. They actually had the set. Uh, I was happy to see that. They had the garage, that old home. Uh, they put that in the front there in that little performance center. I think they were at Full Sail University. But uh, what did you guys think of this? Like them channeling uh, the old in your house, bringing it up with all that nostalgia and just the card as a whole. Oh, man, I, I, I fucking love the stage. I, I, I tuned it on right away. And the very first thing I said in the chat is, oh, man, they really rocked all of this. Um, the pay-per-view is just another solid NXT pay-per-view all around. Um, yeah, boys, where do we go from here? Yeah, I'm, I'm going with uh, the same thing. I thought this was absolutely fantastic. There's just like you talk about the one thing that WWE has done tremendously and AEW for that matter is when there's no fans, I guess they put more effort into the, into the arena. So I, I really liked what they did here. Even with WrestleMania, I thought that they, like, yeah, like, you know, it's not a big ass stage. There's no fan, like, you know what I mean? Um, the long stage, the big, you know, uh, pillars that they've done over the years. But simplicity sometimes gets the job done. And uh, that's what that's what happened here. And I thought it was an absolute great pay-per-view. But well, I guess we'll get into match by match. Yeah, we had... Uh... I guess Finn Balor's match here, and just don't know what to make of Damian Priest. Does he even like? Do they even have high hopes for him? Like he's thirty-eight years old. Uh, like it seems to be in these kind of feuds, but it's not like a kind of definitive win where or a definitive match where we see him like he's going to go to the next level. Like, what's WWE's hopes, or like what are your hopes for Damian Priest? I still think he's. Um... I still think they have plans for him a little down the road. I like what Chris said last week when they kind of got like the Baron Corbin comparisons. But I think he, I think he got his shots in in this match. Like I, I don't think it's just a Finn win and then we move on from here. Uh, they definitely made him look strong, but I, I was surprised that Finn got the win in this one. Not gonna lie. Yeah, I agree. Um, you 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 talk about Damian Priest, talk about Baron Corbin, kind of same DNA when I look at him. Like, literally, like, you look at the hair and everything, but he, he's a guy where I, I don't even think Triple H is sure what's next for him. He's just kind of been in limbo, but, again, he's a guy that can plug into any situation on, on a card, and I think these guys are very, very valuable. I think Priest, even though he's 38, there's no, there's no prime age anymore. I think, you know, as long as you're in great shape, you can go till you're – I guess maybe in your late 40s, early 50s, whenever you want to hang him up. Look at Ken Shamrock. He's still going. So I, uh, I, think I think Damian Priest eventually will probably go up to maybe SmackDown and be a mid-card uh, champion maybe down the line. I think that's maybe the max I see him doing. But, yeah, I was actually kind of surprised they had Finn Balor win. I thought this was going to be like, okay, like let's bring Finn Balor up and have Damian Priest kind of – make a name for himself in NXT, beating one of the godfathers in NXT and Finn Balor. So um, it was a questionable booking decision, 
but I'm not I'm not worried about Damian Priest. I think he's going to do just fine. And then uh, Keith Lee, Johnny Gargano. This match was, uh, I believe, the longest yeah longest match of the night, twenty minutes and thirty five seconds. Uh, Keith Lee went over here. Did they make the right call, uh, or should Keith Lee drop the title and move up to Raw? Nah, let him run with it. Love the fact that he won. This was a back-and-forth thriller. Um, Love Johnny with the little fucking antics, going after his eye and his hand, kind of get all the little advantages he can over that big man. But yeah, I thought it was a solid back-and-forth, hard-hitting match. Uh, And then Lee getting the win in the end was just just awesome. Basking his fucking glory. Keep going from here. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, they did the right decision here with keeping Keith Lee... uh, keeping him as a champ. I don't think he's, uh, I don't think the fans are ready for him to come up yet. I think maybe when this thing blows over, then maybe you can have Keith Lee come up because he just brings that presence and that reaction. He's just a complete athlete. So I feel like maybe Vince and triple H are kind of saving him for when fans come back. I, I don't see anything wrong with, with Keith Lee retaining. And I wouldn't even have seen anything wrong with Johnny Gargano winning. But again, like, a lot of people at this show, I'm kind of thinking, what are you doing here still? Like, you've done everything. So what really else is there for them to do? But again, it is its own brand. It's not like it's, you know, like the kitty. It's not like they're in a kiddie pool anymore. Like, this is actually their own brand. You know, sometimes, actually, for the most part, um, NXT takeovers are arguably better than every WWE pay-per-view. So this is kind of like the big leagues. So... Um, I guess it really doesn't matter if they get called up or not. They're doing their own thing down there. But, uh, yeah, I really did like seeing Keith Lee retain here. I thought it was kind of surprising to me, actually, because they were just rolling with Gargano as the top heel for, like, two, three weeks. So good for Keith Lee to retain. Yeah. And uh, next one, we had a surprise here. I'm glad they did this. It was a short match, six minutes. Karrion Cross beating uh, Tommaso Ciampa by submission. Happy that he went over like in a squash type thing in six minutes, or would you have liked this match to be like the twenty minute like Keith Lee and Johnny Gargano? Um, yeah, no, I, I like that this was short. It kind of threw me off. Um, I said I said Tommaso would win. That uh, now that I look back on it, maybe not the smartest move because I see Karrion Cross in this match in the five six minutes. He just looked like it. He looked like a fucking killer. And Scarlett Brodo and um, that entrance, they just they look like stars. And I think NXT, uh, they don't know what they got in him yet. But he's going to be a big time player going forward. This was a nice, refreshing match. You have all these long bouts throughout the night, and then this quick little, this quick hitter here. Um, this was a nice spot in the card. I really liked it for Carrying uh, Cross. Yeah. Uh- we t- again, Ciampa's had a lot of long matches too, like at least 40. I think he's had like six 40-minute matches at, on NXT TakeOvers. So I guess this was great for him as well. You know, it was short. Uh, Karrion Cross is going to be an NXT champion in like two months. I think this is a guy <laughs> where he's going to come into he's gonna come into NXT and he's literally going to run it right away, kind of like what Shinsuke did, what, you know, R- Bobby Roode did. He's just going to come in and he's just going to take over right away. Um I, I think Karrion Cross and Scarlett, they, like Pinel just said, they're stars. They're already going to be star. They already are stars in my mind. When you beat Champa in six minutes, that just shows how valuable, how important you are to 
not not even NXT, just to the industry in general. This is a guy that we're going to remember for a long time. And uh, yeah, I think uh, Karrion Cross, guys, he's going to be NXT champion. I, I'll say I'll say soon. Yeah. Speaking of NXT champions, Adam Cole retained here with Velveteen Dream uh, in that last chance backlot brawl. Uh, a lot of people weren't too crazy about this match. Uh, it had some mixed reviews, but overall, it's uh, planned by NXT having Cole retain over Velveteen Dream. Started, bud. <laughs> I called it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's just one of those reigns where I don't want it to end. I just love Adam Cole as a as a human being, as a WWE wrestler. He's just he's been amazing, and yeah, you know, there's the numbers game and all that. But man, this match, I, I liked it. I didn't think he was on the Undertaker AJ Styles level, but I, I really thought, you know, a lot of people at times thought Velveteen was going to take it, and then when Adam Cole retained, he did the Panama Sunrise on the chairs, and he got the pin. I was like. All right, they're really rolling with Adam Cole here, and he's he really his reign is really up there with the greats. So Adam Cole to me is going to go down as maybe a top three NXT champ of all time when you look at this reign. Absolutely incredible work from Adam Cole. Just just keep him off of uh, the main roster. I, I think at least till maybe August. I think they did the right thing here with Adam Cole retaining. Um. I wasn't disappointed with the match. I'd say out of all of the cinematic ones that they've done so far, this probably it's probably closer to the bottom. But like, it was still fun for me. I uh, just like we haven't seen a parking lot brawl in a while. I think of fucking Cena and Eddie all those years ago. This was a fun little setup they had, talking trash back and forth. Uh, the undisputed era getting involved was predictable. That was fun, and Loomis coming in too from under the fucking ring. Um, the ending was awesome with the Panama Sunrise. I think they could have done a little bit more. It wasn't a whole lot to work with just because, like, you can't really take bumps on concrete every 30 seconds. But I did think this was fun. So uh, I give this one a B plus. Uh, title matches here. Uh, closing the show had Io Shirai, Charlotte, Rhea Ripley, and uh, Piniello. You got it here. Io Shirai, new champion. What do you think of this? Yeah, I don't get these often. Pretty proud of this one. But, uh, yeah, this was a very fun triple threat match. Uh, this was clearly the right move to close the show. These three going at it. This was just awesome. Um, I love how EO won. It's always got to be some tricky little finish. It can't be a clean pin. The fucking Charlotte had her in the figure four, and then the moonsault was just awesome. But um, I want to see where EO goes. I'm pretty I'm excited. You have Asuka as the Raw Women's Champ, and EO as the NXT Champ. You don't really see this too often, so... Uh, you're not going to see a whole lot of promos from her. Just kick a lot of kick-ass matches, a lot of solid people to work with. So happy for EO that she got there. Yeah, it's one of those matches where you're not you're not upset at the result. Um, I, I, I really thought Charlotte was going to retain here. I thought they were just going to throw salt in the wound on all these NXT marks and say, yeah, Charlotte's the one. She's going to beat everybody all the time. I thought that was actually going to happen. I, I thought she was going to maybe drop it at the next one near SummerSlam, but again, it is Charlotte Flair, and she has to be a part of SummerSlam, so I'm not surprised that she dropped the title here to EO. Um, I actually maybe had Rhea winning more more than EO, because we've seen Rhea, you know, go at it with Charlotte at WrestleMania. I thought that was absolutely amazing. Um, for me, the biggest question is, what's next with, for Rhea Ripley? Because... She's had two uh, NXT women's title matches. She's lost both of them. 
Um, I know the NXT women's division right now in terms of people on Rhea's level, it's very slim if there's anyone else. So is, are we just assuming that we're going to get Rhea Ripley versus Io Shirai at the next pay-per-view? Because I really don't know what to expect with Rhea moving forward. Like, does she get called up now because of the loss? Like, I really have no idea. Take it, bro. Yeah, uh, it's a tough one. I think it does add their depth to their division because it shows, okay, Rhea Ripley's not the champion. Uh, they went with EO. Then you can have someone else come up and challenge EO instead of Rhea Ripley. And in the meantime, you have the secondary program with Rhea and like any one of their women could be uh, Dakota Kai. Maybe she faces her and it would mean more because it's a former champion who dethroned Shayna Baszler going up against like someone like a Dakota Kai. That can be something. And you can maybe have Tegan Knox challenge Io Shirai or Mia Yim challenger. And you have that big title match feel to it. So in a, I guess a positive from that adds a little bit of depth to their division, but on the flip side, like Charlotte doesn't come out. Luke, it, it, she doesn't taking the pin there. It doesn't look like it was clean. So yeah, they made Charlotte look a little too strong in that match. It's the queen. I don't really mind it, but they got to tone it down with the title reigns. Cause yeah, like yeah. the next night off on, but yeah, I think Ray and EO going forward for the next little while. I don't think anyone's going to complain. Uh, there's, there, there is some depth there, like you were saying before. I think Dakota Kai and Tegan Knox are probably next in line. But, oh, my God, a Rhea and Io Shirai feud for the next little while? I got nothing to add to that. Yeah. Well, uh, pay-per-view was great. Uh, in Your House was a success. Uh, Randy Orton thought so, too. Went to Twitter. Uh, <laughs> said, oh, yeah, the leg slaps. He was going to do one just uh, in support of the whole locker room on NXT and a couple of, kind of rubbed uh, Tommaso Ciampa the wrong way. Uh, they've been going a little bit back and forth, but is this, uh, you think, an angle that we'll see Ciampa come out after backlash and uh, it's right away go after Randy Orton? Oh, God, I hope so. Oh, my. Uh, that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> just because, like, Karrion already took him out. It kind of makes sense. So, like, when you kind of see those things happen, it's maybe that's the, that's the hint for, for Tommaso to move on. And maybe this feud with Randy is exactly what he needs. Randy Orton's a fucking serious character that can make anything with anyone work. With a guy like the Blackheart, I can only imagine the stories that these guys would tell. Didn't think it'd be from a leg slap, but I'm excited <laughs> for the stories they can tell. Oh, man, I, I can already picture, like, the, the pop that Tommaso would get to. I guess this is only this is only good news for Tommaso Ciampa if that's the case. We t- talked about him getting called up last year. They absolutely botched that. So hopefully this is uh I don't want him to get involved in the Edge versus Randy Orton match. I just kind of want well maybe want that to to start organically maybe on the raw after. Maybe you could have, you know, Randy like I don't know, like uh, hurt Edge. So Edge is out for like a month and then you could have Ciampa versus Randy Orton, but that would be absolutely incredible. I think I would be totally invested in that. It's a it's a feud that we've actually wanted to see before. We've never seen it, and uh, both of them are really sadistic. So I think this would only be a positive TV. Yeah, and Orton can play a phenomenal asshole on TV. So I, just the stuff I think he would say to Champa would be a little entertaining for Raw and some of the viewers on TV. But speaking of Randy. Our boy, uh, backlashes this Sunday. 
I'm not going to go through the whole card, but there's three matches that really stick out, could be a little bit unpredictable. Uh, we got Randy Orton and Edge, probably the main event, because they're talking about it being the greatest match ever. Uh, Drew versus Bobby. And this might be a little surprising, but Braun Strowman versus Miz and Morrison might have an interesting outcome. Uh, so we'll start off with Edge and Orton. Uh, is this going to deliver, you think, or is this going to be a, a match where shouldn't have hyped it up too much? CRISPR, start it. Uh, I'll say shouldn't have hyped it up too much. Uh, both these guys oh. are amazing. They're both amazing talents, but you know uh, they're not they're not the same. Um, Randy could still probably go, but when you when you say the greatest wrestling match ever, like that's just. I just think of Shawn Michaels Undertaker and that is this will definitely won't be on that level. I don't even think it'll be close. I know like when you think emotionally, um, it's, it is up there. Like the emotions are always at the, the best with Randy and edge. They both, you know, edge almost every promo he does. He's almost crying. That's how, you know, motivated and driven he is to his character, but to call it the greatest wrestling match ever. Uh, I think it's just going to fall flat of expectations, even though, you guys all know how much I love Edge. He's my goat. I love him, but uh, I, I just—it's hard to to put a title like that on any match. So, yeah, yeah. I uh, I, I love the hype. Too bad. When you have <laughs> two of these kinds of guys going at it, there's no other way to hype it up. I just every every time they're in there, you said it perfect. With the emotions alone, is the reason why I'm looking forward to this. Uh, just the stories they tell in the ring all the time—they always drag you in. There's still Edge, like. Probably in the best shape of his life. And he's pushing 50. And then Randy Orton doing some amazing work. So, no, it's not going to be the greatest wrestling match ever. I don't think anyone thinks so. It's, it's a cool little tagline they got going on. But, oh, my God, am I excited for this. Do you have Randy winning and then you have a best two out of three falls at SummerSlam? Or should Edge win and end the rivalry? Oh, man, did it last week. Give Randy the win here. Tie that shit up. Keep it going one more time. Like, yeah, I agree. Especially with Christian's involvement, I think, uh, yeah, that would just be perfect to see Randy slither his way in backlash and get the win here. And then at SummerSlam or Survivor Series, I don't know, whenever Edge is ready to come back, then you can uh, then you can have that final, final battle. And that will, pr I, as long as, I, you know what, these two guys, if they main event, like every time they face, I don't think anyone will be upset. So um, even if Edge and, and Randy main event this pay-per-view over Drew and Bobby, I wouldn't be upset. So um, I'll say Randy Orton wins, and maybe we see the punt come back. Whoa. Uh, speaking of Drew and Bobby, is it time to put the title on Bobby Lashley, give the big man uh, a big reign here, or is this going to be uh, a screwy finish that leads to a rematch at the next pay-per-view? Screwy finish, rematch. Drew's been, uh, <laughs> I don't know if Drew's been on a, another level right now. He looks like a fucking serial killer. I don't think anyone can match him with the kind of work that he's doing. Uh, we've been talking so highly of Bobby the last few weeks. We really want him to get there. If there was any other situation, if it was like on gender, I'd be like, oh, yeah, this is Bobby's <laughs> time. He's going to take it off him, no problem. But I don't think you could really, uh, I don't think you could put a dent in what Drew's really doing right now. I think that'll set him back a little if he, as great as it'd be for Bobby, I still got Drew coming out on top. Yeah, I uh, I got to go with Pinello, the exact same thing. I got to go with Drew winning this guy. He's just, dude, he's been too good. He's just, he's on a different level. 
Um, you know, you talk about um, guys that have absolutely just blown up, like popularity wise, um, all that. Drew McIntyre is literally the new Roman Reigns. But like you have to like, I'm not saying like in ring style. I'm just saying like I never thought he would be the top face in the company. I never thought he would have that role. But man, he's just he's just blowing it out of the water. He's just doing everything right. And yes, Bobby Lashley, like he's he's been he's been deserving of it for a while. Like he had his feud with Balor and all that. But like I don't like if Bobby wins, then like what does that really mean for Drew McIntyre for like the next like two three months? Like my only my only the only way how I could see Drew losing is because they want his second win to be with fans in the building. They want it to be, you know, monumental. So I can kind of see Lashley winning only because there's no fans in attendance, but I still think that would damper the product tremendously. So I'm just going to say Drew McIntyre, uh, he retains here. Yeah, I'm with you there. Unless Ginger gets involved, that's the only reason I can see Drew losing. But the surprise over here now, uh, Braun Strowman defending in a handicap match against the SmackDown Tag Champs, Miz and Morrison. A lot of people kind of think maybe Bray Wyatt can come out the fiend and he can cost Braun Strowman the title, leading just to a one-on-one without it, so it doesn't put too much pressure on them to put it on the fiend right away. And uh, the Miz uh, would be like the ideal person to hold it. So, do you think they should run with it? Have the Miz win the title, and then uh, have John Morrison turn on him and lead to a program between them, or would you keep it on Braun to face the Fiend next? Oh, this is like a Kevin Owens, Chris Jericho for me. Like, like from 2016. Like, if I'm gonna have, if I'm gonna put all my chips in on Miz and Morrison for the WWE title. This storyline better be unreal. Like the betrayal better be amazing. Like if you're like I don't know who would be the face, the Miz. Like I I, yeah, I just I assume maybe give, the give Miz. It to Miz. Yeah. Um, it would have to be monumental. I know Braun Strowman and Bray Wyatt. Regardless, they're the bigger names. I think in terms of like main event attraction, I think those guys are a little bit higher. But the Miz, you know, he's been around for almost two decades now in WWE. He's done his stuff. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? I can't, for me, like, remember when it, when we saw, uh, it was Goldberg versus who did Goldberg versus Brock. And then you had Kevin Owen versus Jericho for the U S I kind of feel like this is the same, like it's kind of the same thing. I think the Miz and John Morrison, regardless where they are, they'll make it work. If it's for the U S for the IC, for the WWE title, regardless, they'll make it work. But are these two guys really main event WWE title, um, superstars like that's my question alino i think i'll just say braun Strowman retains because I, I still think the fiend's gonna win the universal title but if they really do this with the miz i'm all in for it i, I really it's different it's fresh because the fiend has kind of been dominating that scene for like what four or five months so give the miz a shot why not uh, I'll, I'll go with braun Strowman, but i'm open to your suggestion that's very different i think this is a filler Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. and I don't want to say that just because it's Miz and Morrison and like what Chris said, whatever the Miz specifically is involved in, you're going to pay attention because he makes everything work. But I, I genuinely think they're just buying time for the, for the, for the perfect time for Braun to take on the fiend. But like at the same time, there's still so much to do with Miz and Morrison. Like they're at a point now they don't need titles. They don't, 
They don't have to be there. You're going to pay. You're going to watch. You know who they are. They're established tag team. The Miz has been. I thought the Miz would have gotten fired 10 years ago. He has succeeded everyone's expectations. So they're going to make it work. They're fucking hilarious together. It's going to be an awesome match. They're all solid workers. But I think the eventual plan is for the Fiend to take it off Braun eventually. Yeah, I like what you're thinking there. Uh, maybe even Jeff Hardy, they got some time to kill. Maybe he beats Sheamus and uh, goes on to challenge. Uh, one thing before we wrap this up here, Dominic and Ray were invited <laughs> by Seth Rollins to Raw. Is uh, Dominic going to go after Seth Rollins here? I know we talked about this before, but uh, signs are a little pointing that Dominic could turn on his father and uh, align with the Messiah. Is that something you want to see? Well, man, (laughs) what would that say about (laughs) Seth if you were to get Dominic to turn on Ray? He truly is a god. But you know what? I think Seth is just, he's just goading him in. He's going to show up to Raw and then his little, his little caddies are going to beat the hell out of him backstage. So I really pray for Dominic. I don't know what he's getting into, but you know, well wishes to him. (laughs) I'll say, I'll say he doesn't align. Uh, I'll say this is just typical Seth Rollins wheeling his prey in and beating the shit out of him. So um, just I don't know, man. I feel like this is just for TV views. Like I don't I don't really see Dominic like feuding with Seth Rollins and and all that. So I'm just gonna say like I don't know if like but what the hell is the point of this? Like are we gonna see Ray versus Seth at SummerSlam? Because like I don't want to see that. So. Like, I don't really know what's going on here. He's also feuding with Aleister Black. He's all over the place. So Seth is a god. He'll make anything work. But I don't really know what to expect with this. And I don't really know if this will work out, like, long term for both of them. So I really, I, I don't really know what to, what, to, what to say about that. I think you have to get the Seth and Ray payoff after everything that's been going on. I don't know how that doesn't conclude in that. Yeah. Well, would they, be they, interesting. What are they doing then? Like, I, I don't know. They're, they're fucked. There are a lot of ways you can yeah. go here. Like, I could see the match happening with Dominic, but, like, it would be the build-up to that. Like, maybe Seth takes fucking Ray's other eye out, and then that hits, <laughs> that's Dominic. <laughs> and then Dominic will be like, okay, if it wasn't serious before, now it is. And then he just, like, goes crazy on him one time. Who knows? But, like, the fact that they've gone this far with the three of them, you got to see a big payoff. You got to see Ray go crazy. You got to see Dominic go crazy. They got to get the revenge. And then Seth being the little bitch that he is can play it off brilliantly. So I'm just excited to see the payoff here. Awesome yeah. stuff, boys. Should be fun to watch. That's uh, this Sunday backlash. Maybe we'll see Dominic. Maybe we won't. Uh, but find out next week. Uh, Chris, Pinello, this was fun. This has been episode 84. Tune in next week. Boom. Boom.